Hi, you are listening to Toddcast, and I am Carmen Mack, your host for this podcast season. During the season, I will be talking to Black parents living in Norway, and they will be sharing their experiences, challenges, aspirations, and anything that they would like to talk about. These recordings were done during summer 2021 and now being published. Apologies for the delay as I have been going through my own personal matters uh, during this year. During these recordings as well, um, it was done on my computer. So there has been some issues with this band system on my computer, which you will probably hear just the running noise in the background. So I also apologize for the sound quality. But I do hope that you will listen to these stories and understand and also be inspired by their lived experiences. Uh, today we have Dora Pomloro. I hope I pronounced her name correctly there. She's a social worker with a master's degree in child welfare and further studies in trauma-informed care and disclosure of sexual abuse in children and young people. She works in the child welfare services for the unoccupied refugee minors in Bergen municipality. In 2013, Dora was awarded the Top 10 Immigrants Award by Leadership Foundation. And in 2010, she was awarded the Women in Focus Award by Positive Education for her dedication and work with immigrant women in Bergen. Uh, Dora is a mother of two and a passionate social activist who engages herself in issues concerning youth and women empowerment, cross-cultural parenting, migration challenges, and active participation and representation of minorities in the Norwegian society. Wow. And you're and you're currently in, in Bergen, am I correct? Yeah. When did you come to uh, Norway? <laughs> uh, I first want to say thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, it's really great to be able to share my experience as a black woman. Uh, yeah, I came to Norway, uh, it's about 22 years now since I came to Bergen. Uh, I uh, I came from South Sudan, and uh, South Sudan, uh, you know, is a country that has uh, experienced uh, yeah, war over uh, a number of de- decades, and uh, that's how I ended up in Norway. Uh, I came as uh, initially as a student to participate in a student conference, and then I decided to seek asylum because I felt I couldn't uh, travel back home. So, um, yeah, I sought asylum here, and then I got uh, my stay to be in Norway. And that was, uh, I would say, the toughest decision of my life, deciding to stay here, living alone. My family network and all that I have known all these years, and uh, that was the start of the journey in my life. So now, 22 years after, I'm still here. Again. 22 yeah. years? You've been here 22 yeah. years? Wow. Yeah. That's, the, that's longer than so. me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so it seems like ages. Yeah. yeah. What is what is the the main challenge? Do you do you feel like what is the difference you see in culturally? You know, from being Sudan and here in Norway, do you see a big difference? Yeah. Uh. There. You know. Initially, when I came, you know, I I come from. Uh, you know. A communal society, you know, where the, the big family means a lot, and I've always, uh, I've grown up around. Uh, uh, I'm the seventh of eight siblings in my family, 
uh, and apart from my siblings. So I had my cousins, my aunties, my uncles, and all the neighborhood, you know, kind of. So I grew around people. And, and, and um, I also spoke a language that everyone around me understood. And I navigate my way out because I knew the codes, the cultural codes, and and how to interact with people. People are welcoming, people are warm, and, and it's like uh, I never felt I'm alone. That's the, that's the cultural, the social aspect of it. But then again, coming from South Sudan, it's tropically warm, so it's like we have the sun all the year through. <laughs> so moving to Norway, it was like a transition, uh, both culturally and then in regards also to the to them climate, you know, it's a cold country to come to, and uh, uh, not knowing people in the beginning was kind of tough, you know, having to establish new networks, having to find a way through, navigate a way through the society because of the language that I could understand, but um, luckily enough, I spoke English, so most Norwegians speak English, I could find my way out by speaking English in the beginning, but of course, I had to learn the language to be able to, to find my way, to be able to understand uh, things, how the society functions, to be able to study, because I I had already started my university when I before coming to Norway, but I had to start all over again. I had to go to learn the language and then start from, you know, the beginning. And it was kind of hard, but then uh, that, that was a transition for me. And then um, also coming to Norway at an age of 20, in the 20th, uh, 20, um, I had already kind of uh, instilled, I, I had instilled uh, value, uh, values that were really uh, great for my upbringing, and those helped me also to find my way through. Though, of course, being a young person, that was my transformative years, I needed kind of uh, people around me that would help me to, to be the adult that I needed to be. But I was so lucky that I had a good upbringing, and I had so much great values that helped me to start the new life in Norway. Those values were kind of the core values that I had me. And with time, I started to incorporate the values from the Norwegian society that I felt were also really good values and I would like to have. Mm. What kind of values are, are those then uh, that you bought from your, your home? Yeah, I, I grew up, as I told initially, in a big family where we have the uh, kind of... Uh, I, I was taught from very young age that I had to be responsible for myself and at the same time, not only thinking of myself, but the others. So I'm not like an individual by myself, but I am kind of co-dependent on the other members of my family. Mm. Love was a very important value that I had for my upbringing. I knew I was loved, though my parents maybe didn't tell me verbally, hugged me every time, but I knew they loved me. And it's different the way I show love to my children now than the way I was shown love. It, didn't, it doesn't mean that they didn't love me, but I knew from the way they treated me, from the way they cared for me, I knew I was loved. So love was an important value that I had. And respect as well. From the very young age, I was told, you know, respect for the elders. Though I also felt, as a young, you know, as a child, I also expected respect from the elders. But that was not something we as students. God, because it's like we are expected to respect the elders, but then maybe sometimes we don't really get that respect back. It wasn't like super good, but that was an important value that I also learned. And hard work that, you know, want to have a better future, you want to be successful, you have to work hard. So school was an important part of my life, going to school. Luckily enough, I had parents who could 
invest in our education. We were three girls in the family, but we were not kind of uh, uh, discriminated against. It's not like my our, our brothers got the chance to go to school and not us. We all got the opportunity to go to school. And that was also an important investment my parents uh, had on us. And again, um, the, 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 the value of also contributing to the well-being of the community, that was also value that I saw in my mother. Uh, she was a social worker and she was an important partner, not only the person, not only in the family, but also in the community. People sought her advice and she participated, involved herself in many activities involving like women or other things and also many other strong women in the, my family that I looked up to that were uh, politically engaged. So, so those values of a woman being you know, resourceful, being resilient, and do you know whatever she wants to do. That was those. Those were great values that I came with to Norway, and then moving to Norway in a country where women are valued, women have voices, women have space. So I was kind of like, wow, this is a great country to be in. And at the same time, I I could build on those values that I have, and again, the values in the Norwegian society of freedom of speech. You know, you can be wherever you want to be if you have the opportunity and if you, someone shows you where the opportunities are and those are the challenges that come afterwards. But again, those were great values that I could build up on coming to know. Mm. I think it's really lovely how you brought the values from your, your own home country um, and to this new home that you, you have now in Norway mm. and also bringing on some of the uh, values that you've also learned in the Norwegian culture and bringing the best I guess of two worlds really mm. and then using that and, and teaching your children of these values really and I find it really mm. interesting how you talked about love um, because mm. you know I, I'm thinking about my own uh, upbringing you know my, my childhood uh, experiences mm. and it's quite similar because um, my p- parents are not people who hugs, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I hug as well. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a hugger. I do love hugging. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and they don't know how to express love. You know, they don't say I love you, you know, that you hear like you see this in TV shows and everything. It's saying oh, mm-hmm. hugging and, 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 and which is very different, you know, in, in the West, because I, I was uh, brought up in the UK and then my parents were, were from Hong Kong. So I'm often seeing this contrast, like how does a British white family you know, express mm-hmm. love to each other, and then there's my family here, and I often think my family is very dysfunctional in this way. But, uh, but it doesn't mean like they don't love me. You know, it's just no, that the, exactly. it's, it's it's the way they it's different. Like we realize now um, from my generation, there's um, what we call the second generation of, of, of immigrants, is that when your parents ask you, especially your Chinese parents ask you, have you eaten? You know, it actually That's means love. that is love. Is love because they they, they care about you know, your health. And that's, that is the basics, you know, um, of, of the Chinese culture, you know, having a full belly, m- making sure your children, you know, are full and fed and have shelter and all the basic needs and making sure they're okay uh, there. Uh, and by asking, like, have you eaten? It is a form of care. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, it's different from cultures. I don't know if you you saw that as well when it, you see the Norwegian family, how they express love for the children. I go, yeah, that's something I, um, I would want to do. I don't know how, how how you navigate that. Do you end up if you ever see? I don't know if you see your family at all. Um, whether that interaction has changed because, for me, when I meet my dad now when I go back to England, I actually give him a hug before I leave. <laughs> or if I see him, I give him a hug. I don't usually. I never actually ever done that. I started doing it in the last uh, few years, but I realized that because I became a mom, I want to show, as a as a role model as well, that you know, 
um, there's, there's that bridge that I'm also learning something from other cultures and I want to bring this this type of love as well, this kind of language of love. Do you, do you feel that way? Do you also mm-hmm. have that kind of experience? Yeah, I would say it, it, it symbolizes, you say, like, you know, I am also a hugger of, uh, since I was young. I didn't do that that much, but it's like when you're going away, you hug. The way we hug is kind of different. Sometimes it's like maybe a kiss on the cheek or something uh, like that. But then bubble, I remember talking to my mom, I would always end up by saying, I love you. And sometimes I don't feel like I get it back. And I'm like, oh, I'm waiting, you know, say it back, you know, because it's something that they're not kind of used to. But then it doesn't mean that she doesn't love me. She loves me, but expressing it in a different way. And, and it's also like working with many uh, immigrant parents. I, I realize also that's been also uh, some, you know, by, by caring for the children, making sure they have the clothes, they have the food they eat, you know, asking them how they're doing, that's showing enough love. But then the contrast uh, here becomes when uh, our children don't get that hugs at home and they go to kindergarten and meet other children when their parents come and then they hug them, you know. So it becomes kind of, uh, it's a, uh, um, a feeling that the children will develop kind of a lack for it. So that's how also we as parents, when we're coming to the new context, we have to, it takes time, but adapt to it probably because the children need that. They need to be, uh, for us, we understand because that's how our parents are, but for our children here now that we are raising them up here, it would be a different thing. So it's for them to, to understand that we, we can help them, we can do uh, the other things that maybe we didn't get in our child, in our upbringing, but we see it's important for them in the context that they're living in. So, for instance, um, the dialogue-based conversations that you know most parents, you know, it's in, like in the Norwegian context mostly. I would say, like when I was um, a kid, I, I most decisions were made by the adults. You know, you are just told, you know, this is what we have decided. You don't have to say, you know, if you, you can complain about it, but it's a final thing that has been decided on. But but here it's like kind of you you talk together with the kids, you agree on it together, and then you come to a solution. Because the children's voices have been heard and their decisions are also kind of yeah, their views are important, the decision that concerns the family. And I think that's a good way of doing it, uh, for children to also feel that they're valued. And and again, as I talked about the respect initially, you know, it's like okay, we respect your views and you should also respect ours. It's kind of a mutual reciprocal relationship. And I see now in um, my daughter is 17, big enough now, mm. and my son is 10, so they're big. And I, uh, I remember, you know, uh, she she's a very a, a very amazing young lady now. And and you know, when she was in her teenage years, she was she she's kind of um, strong-minded, you know. And and I. When I look at her at the age of 12 and just thinking of myself at that age, how I, uh, because of the context, again, I grew up in, I couldn't, like, say my views openly. I didn't, you know. But she was very verbal about what if she's, she agrees on something or if she's, just, if she's not, you know, uh, she's not in agreement with me. And uh, I felt there was some times when I felt like uh, I couldn't tackle that because I'm like, oh, you don't respect me. I would tell her, like, no, mama, I respect you. But that's what I think, you know. Mm. <laughs> so it's like we just have to kind of uh, uh, have a good dialogue about it. And then we come to agreement. And sometimes I tell her, no, that's it. I don't know why <laughs> at the moment, but that's it. That's it, you know. So I don't want to kind of go into argument or 
kind of negotiating about things. But but that's uh, really uh, over these years I've really learned a lot that it's a it's a great way of building relationship with your children, getting to know them, and again you know agreeing on things or maybe disagreeing about things as well, but in a good way. Mm. Do you think that um, because you work in the child welfare services, are, are you still working there? I can't remember. Yeah, You're still I working there. Um, do you think like the work that you you have doing there also helps you to become a you know helps with the parenting, or do you think it's or is it still it's harder because you're kind of negotiating yeah. between your own values and also your own style of parenting, and then there's also this sort of almost Norwegian way of parenting. Um, I don't know if we can even categorize it in you know, the Norwegian way of parenting or even, but it's, it's like this, uh, I often find that like we all have very different parenting styles um, and then there's this way of society here in Norway that looks at you slightly strangely if you do something different. Um, I don't know if you feel like in your work you're kind of the bridge of it or you kind of feel a little bit of sometimes conflict because you kind of like yeah but I see it this way but your colleagues may not see it that way you know how, how does that process work you know in terms of when you discuss about you know whether the parenting here is right or wrong in some ways or how can we do better yeah I think um also studying a social work has kind of um, done something with me as a person you know, because it's a kind of, you go through a lot of reflections about your, yourself as a person and then working with people. So it kind of helped me also in um, the role of parenting. So I kind of uh, reflect a lot on how I do stuff. And I'm also learning about the Norwegian society, how it functions, and then reflecting on how my childhood was. And I had a very great childhood and how I would want to raise up my children in the context of Norway. Mm. And how also parenting, you know, is because it's so different. Though we have like kind of a standard on how we look uh, on parenting, and that can be also efficient because it's not it can't apply to everybody because it's the cultural norms and expectations mm. of the society we live in. That's how you know. That's that's how that that's what shapes the, the way we parent. And so, like I work with unaccompanied refugee minors, mm. so. Uh, they come to know without their parents, you know, so it's kind of we are uh, the caregivers for them. At the same time, we are kind of an institution taking care of them. But in the, the ordinary child welfare services, where also they look at how parenting styles are, uh, there's this, um, I feel it's like a, a standard way. It's a, it's a kind of a Eurocentric way of, of, um, of looking at parenting, which can be also deficient on parents that come from different contexts, you know, because it's um, their way of parenting has been influenced by their cultural norms mm. and their and the expectations from where they come off. So many parents experience the, the transition to Norway to be very, it's turbulent and it's very challenging because suddenly you'll have to change the way you do things and without uh, sometimes knowing what to do, you know. And, and it's not that, you know, it's something that I've been doing over many over generations, maybe passed from one generation to another without you thinking really why I'm doing the things I'm doing and why am I parenting the way I'm parenting. And suddenly you are being met with a system that tells you are not allowed to do this, this and that and that and that. And you are like, okay, what do I do? Mm. Or how do I navigate? How do I go through? And many parents are... Uh, 
experience, you know, that they have they have this feeling of like, okay, I've I've managed. I've I've, I've done it well. I've, I've um, raised my children, five children in my home country, and suddenly I come to nowhere. I'm not a good enough parent. What is it, you know? So so it's a lot of um, of uh, work that needs to be done in regards to how we meet these parents, and also we, the parents that move to the new country, how we also kind of try to 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 navigate through the landscape. And again, because we need to restructure, you know, the, the, sometimes even the family structure has to be restructured. And again, the, the way we think about things and the way we parent need to be restructured. And that takes time, you know. So the system also has to be patient with us on how we, you know, adapt to the new system because it, it takes time, you know. So it's it's about, it, it, it's a work that needs to be done. It's a collective responsibility, you know. That the new, with the new parents that come in, you have to be kind of uh, okay. That's this is a new context. What do I do? How do I, uh, how do I learn new skills? Maybe I don't need to learn new skills, but I just have to adjust what I've learned before to fit in the new context that I'm really in, mm-hmm. you know. And also, the people that are meeting, you know, the, the different institution have to also be, have the competence to be able to understand the parents on how why they do things the way they do and what time they need or what resources they need to be able to adjust to the new context that they live in. You know, sharing your experiences as a parent, as a black parent, um, and if you have ever met discrimination or if your children has dis- uh, met discrimination, how you do with it. I mean, when it comes to barn and farm, you know, and, and the child welfare services, I think like um, as an immigrant parent, we're all slightly afraid of them because of the media and, and, and everything that talks about it. And sometimes I think uh, people feel that, am I really doing something wrong? Or is, are you not just accepting you know, my culture, really? And I think it's about meeting halfway between each other, maybe, in some ways. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that um, and how that influenced you as a, as a parent as well. Uh, I would say uh, um, we need to... Um something in between a meeting ground where we can be able to understand each other's like link uh, linkage workers or something to be able to to help the um, the professionals working in the child welfare service or the other institutions to better understand minority parents and also minority parents to better understand and trust the welfare services mm. because the issue here is that this this um the trust is lacking and it's because of all the stories that go out there about how the child welfare is and what the child welfare services does. Mm. But we also kind of, in, in all this narrative, we also miss out on what help the child welfare services can give to parents, not necessarily waiting until there's a problem. Yesterday I had a conversation with some uh, women, some parents about the child welfare service, and, and I, I stressed on the importance of also looking at, okay, don't wait if you, because we, it, it's a it's it's a it's a challenging job for uh, to parent because it demands a lot and children are so different you know you get one you think you have the best you know the world's uh, you know easiest child to deal with and then suddenly you get one that is you know you do all that you can but then still there's something there that you need an extra or professional help mm. and that's where the child welfare service can also be of help because they have some preventative measures that they offer families 
but we don't hear so much about it because of the fear. We don't take contact with the child welfare services when you know at an early stage and we wait until things get worse. And maybe they, they have to intervene or maybe place the child somewhere because the child needs help or the parent also needs help. So there's this um, information that needs to go out of what the child welfare services does, the good things, the good services that they offer, and also help parents to be able to to, to work on the skills, you know, that they need to be able to meet the needs of the child because the children are different. Some children have uh, extra needs mm. that you can't meet them alone. You need an extra help or yeah, professional help to meet it. So so we need that. And, and of course, uh, learning also about um, uh, the Norwegian society, how it functions and be able to understand and navigate your way through. It helps also in giving uh, parents the, the security, in a way, the sense of security mm. that, you know, uh, I know how my child does. I can talk to the teacher if I feel something is wrong with my child. If I feel my child is not thriving in the school, I can contact the teacher. Mm. If you have that confidence and security, then it's easy to be able to talk about this issue. But if you don't have that and you don't have the trust towards the institutions that your children are, then things become difficult. Mm. Do, you, do you feel like you have all the tools? For parenting, do you feel? Do you feel like you? No, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I struggle as well on my other. You know, it's different. I don't. I try my best, and sometimes after I done, I've done something, I feel like okay, that was not wise. I do it better next time. So uh, I try my best. Uh, what I think it's, uh, I try to uh, to to involve myself in my children's life at school with their friends. Uh, and it's important for me that they, they thrive in school and they thrive with their friends, that I know the parents of the the friends. So if in case anything happens or in case they are visiting, then I know who to contact. That gives me kind of a sense of security and safety. And again, uh, that I can be able to talk to the parents, uh, to the teachers especially, mm. because there have been some incidences in the school where I had to maybe write an email or even with the parents, I get a text message where maybe the, my son has in, um, and another boy were involved in a, maybe quarrel or something, and I get a long message from parent. I'm happy that I'm able to read that and I can resonate about it, then I can reply the same way. And not all parents can do that. And I think that gives me a kind of uh, the confidence that I can interact with the parents if I feel like, no, that's not right. I will write again or I can call and I can talk on that gives me a sense of, you know, kind of security. And I think, okay, I can take those battles, you know. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds like, yeah, <laughs> so, definitely sounds like so. Um, yeah. What do you, what is, uh, what is the um, biggest challenge you face as being a parent here in Norway? Yeah. Yeah. I think the um, biggest challenge. I think um, uh, realizing that no way, you know, uh, though sometimes you don't want to accept it, there's racism, there's discrimination. My children are black, though they're born in Bergen. They feel they are European Bergen Sarah. They are from Bergen, mm. hey. But I remember when my my daughter, luckily enough, she she went to St Paul's School, in a Catholic school, and it's an international, you know, uh, environment. So she she didn't really feel like you know she's uh, different. It's a very in, very nice environment. So children are from different ethnicities and religion. Uh, but in the playground outside, she 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 could be called like you know you know brown like poo and all these things that are really hurtful you know uh, and uh, and it hurt me as a parent you know have to have a, to 
uh, getting a child coming home crying about it because someone has said something bad about him, the way they look or the skin color. Uh, and it's these conversations that I have to take with them, you know, talk to them about it. And now I'm so happy, 17 years old, she's very confident about herself, her skin color, her hair, everything about her, her body. And that's because we have talked about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and for me, it's uh, knowing the truth, even... Before I got children, I knew, you know, I was black, I was a visible minority, wherever I go, I'll be seen as a, you know, mm. I, I will stand out, you know, because I'm basically a minority. Uh, and, and that's the truth that I've always carried with me. And for my children, it's a painful truth knowing that, you know, my lovely boy, in his own, you know, could be looked at as a potential, you know, a thief or some, someone will look at him as a, you know, a troublemaker just because he's black just because he's uh, yeah, having a dark skin or just because he happens to be there with some boys, that's not. So so this, for me, this is the most uh, so kind of a challenging thing, mm. uh, having to always think about these things. And when they're out there, who will t- uh, someone would like, tell them something that will hurt them, and I have to take this conversation. I'm happy that I'm able to talk about it, and I'm open about it. I'm like, yeah, uh, unfortunately, that's the world we're living in. You might uh, come to a time where you and your best friend, you know, that you came in the football team, you apply for a job and you'll not be given the job because you're black, just because you're black, you know. Mm. So these are things that I consciously talk to them about because I think I cannot stop uh, the racist from the attacks, mm. you know, but I can empower my children on how to meet those attacks. So, and that's a painful truth, and especially like, you know, with the Black Lives Matter things. Uh, when this uh, last year we talked about it and 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 sometimes you know they, they express their anger about it my daughter especially she's pretty subject and and as a young person with her friends they talk about it she tells me stories of things that happen with their friends and we talk about it here unfortunately that's how it is but empowering them how to meet all these challenges that they meet so I think living in a as a minority in a culture that is um, in a country that's uh, predominantly white, I'll say. So, so these are most challenges that we, we kind of go through. Mm. Do you yeah. think that the Black Lives Matter movement that happened here in Norway has also empowered you as a parent and also empowered your children in some ways? I think it is. It, it's been um, good to have the movement. It kind of, I think, opened our eyes. Uh, let me say in the Norwegian context, because... Uh, there's been a lot of discussion on the why do we have to demonstrate in Norway, it doesn't apply to Norway and stuff, but it has opened up a lot of, you know, uh, dark spots, you know, it kind of made it open that actually racism yes, does occur in Norway, does happen in Norway, and there are many people who have came up with their stories. So I think it has had a positive impact in a way that people were, you know, got the courage to talk about their experiences about racism. And also, like in Bergen, actually, the Bergen municipality had um, ordered a survey about racism mm. and uh, institutional racism in Bergen, and it has been done. And they have found out it's it, it's sad that it has to take you know a research or something to to to, to kind of prove it because people have been experiencing it, people have been talking about it, but nothing has been done. So it's kind of positive that it's coming out, uh, but it shouldn't just stop here. People should have like you know. Uh, measures that people should work you know, uh, towards it, and companies, because uh, 
the, the three main uh, areas where uh, racism and discrimination kind of uh, showed up in Bergen was in the, the the job market, the labor market. That's where people experience in the schools. Unfortunately, our parents have reported of the children uh, facing discrimination, and also in the in the um, what do you call it, uh, housing uh, market. You know, you know that that's where also racism was kind of uh, exposed. So it's it's uh, a work that still needs to be done, and especially with people working uh, in schools, kindergarten, children, uh, on how to tackle this. You should talk about it because if you don't talk about it, then we kind of uh, we don't equip the children with the right words to use about. It because if you don't have the words to use, then you don't really know how to articulate it. You know. Mm-hmm. So if we talk about it openly, then we can be able to express it when we when we experience it you know so yeah do you think the the schools is doing enough to kind of teach you know this topic or do they have the competence um to teach this topic well not really not all schools some schools are trying some schools are getting in resources you know i i work with an organization uh, i mean a board um yeah board of directors in papillon bagia uh it has uh, a project in different schools like about four or five schools in bagia where they, 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 they talk about these issues, about identity, about discrimination, about racism, to empower the, 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 the students, and it's both Norwegian and immigrant students. And we need to talk about these issues together for these other kids also to understand it. Because what happens here is like, you know, uh, not all schools have the competence to tackle these issues. Uh, sometimes we, we have the issue of Lilisan, you know, mm-hmm. and Lilisan, you know, those two girls, um, the sisters that experience the worst time, it's just horrible. And and the thing here is if you're not, if you if you're told the teacher once, twice, and the third time you're not being hurt, then you stop talking about it because, you know, you feel like it's not so important to the person mm-hmm. that she is. So the schools should have the resources to talk about it and they should not kind of underestimate it, you know. And, and really, if they don't have the competence, get competence from outside because uh, kids, you know, um, it, it goes so deep and psychologically it affects so many people, you know, because you just end up talking about it, but inside you really have so much. Mm. Um, yeah. And obviously right now we're, we're living in the midst of the COVID pandemic as well. Um, how has that affected you and your family? Mm. It has been a quite a... <laughs> A, a challenging times for, for many. In the beginning, especially, I would say it was, you know, when you have to kind of uh, have both uh, homeschooling and you have to work at the same time, it was kind of like, I'm like, wow, uh, big respect for the teachers and how <laughs> they do it. Yeah. So combining it was kind of energy training. And again, having to be, you know, uh, the social restrictions also that kind of uh, restricted, you know, interaction with friends, network, and family. So that was kind of, um, took a toll uh, for me. I'm a big hug. I love to hug. Suddenly mm-hmm. you can't hug people. <laughs> exactly. uh, but um, uh, with time, I kind of uh, had to just accept it. And, and um, luckily enough, for the digital um, world that we live in now, we had solutions to ways of how people could meet. So I've actually, I would say, I've uh, used a lot of this time to kind of build on myself, to reflect on who am I actually as a person without all these other things I get involved in. And that gave me even more passion to work on these issues that I'm 
passionate about is like, you know, in regards to parenting, you know, and the context of Corona now, you know, in the COVID-19 where you, you get, uh, you got, you got so much time to spend with your children. What do we do with this time? Uh, how do we use it constructively and to either, you know, talk with the children or to make creative things out of it. I love going out for nature. So I use so much time also to walk out and, and just be out in the nature reflecting on myself uh, and life generally and also giving my services to, to people that needed me through through the um, through digital platforms if I could meet them. So I would say, of course, I miss meeting my family, having to travel uh, or having my family to come in here. I, I miss that a lot. That's affected us. And I see also in regards to the young people that I've uh, worked with, when uh, there was total lockdown, it was painful, you know, on the mental health as well. And um, yeah, so I think after COVID, we still have a lot of work to do, especially on mental health, because it's been a straining time for many, uh, not being able to meet people the way we used to do. And again, because people still got so much occupied with their own things, and then the, the, the threshold kind of comes higher to, talk, to contact people. And meetings like, you know, digital meetings, it's it's also very strengthful. Uh, with the young people I've worked with, it's not the best alternative of their uh, meeting. You know, we talked we talked about racism, we talked about discrimination, and we talked about the challenges of, of being a parent here in, in Norway. Um, I'm just trying to understand, you know, because you are, in my view, creating change in your own way around you through the work that you do. How does the future look like for your children? Or even, what do you have um, in terms of um, your vision of the future of Norway for your children? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think uh, Norway has changed uh, over the past 10 years. I think um, my children will live in a, a world of, in a diverse world, you know, with where a diverse and inclusive world, I believe, where people are accepted for who they are, regardless of their race, their color, their gender, you know, mm. and uh, a world where the boundaries, you know, because you have this... Uh, how would I say it? You know, the country borders don't really matter that much. It's like, you know, wherever you are in the world, you can feel at home. So that's the vision I want for my children. And that they will, they can live wherever they want in the world, not having to think of like, okay, I won't feel at home here. Mm. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Great. Yeah. Um, we're coming uh, to the end of our uh, interview today. Um, so the last question I have for you, unless you have anything else to say um, or you think I have missed, you know, please jump in. Uh, but uh, the last question is, what kind of advice would you give parents who just move over or are thinking of moving over to Noi and who are black parents? I would say you have so much to offer in the new country you come to. The values that you have grown up with, the good values that you have grown up with, you take them into the new country, don't throw them away and learn the new values and together make it great. Uh, how would I say? A mix of values that you would give on to your children and never press your children to choose between your country, your culture, your values or the Norwegian, Norwegian values on them. Let them choose, you know, and direct them into choosing the values that will help them grow and live wherever they want to be. Because I think as parents, our role should be to to, to guide them through and not force them to choose between one or the other. Because there's so many 
great values out there, but guiding them to be able to be the great people that the universe needs. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Dora, and for your time today. Um, it's been a very pleasure for me, and I'm learning. Uh, I'm always learning something from every parent that I talk to. I, I feel like I've, uh, you know, learned so much and I've like, grown a little bit as well, <laughs> in the sense. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you.